In today's investment landscape, it's becoming difficult to distinguish genuine sustainable investments from misleading greenwashing claims. Whether it's measuring the sustainability performance of companies in a portfolio or ensuring that their own firms and offerings are not making exaggerated or false claims about their sustainability impacts, asset managers now more than ever are on the lookout for potential greenwashing risks. In this episode, we'll delve into the issue of greenwashing and finance and how investors can mitigate risks and help maintain confidence in the global sustainable investment market. I'll also chat with Morningstar Sustainalytics' Ruth Ann Bartello about the factors that financial market players need to consider to mitigate greenwashing in their investments and portfolio products. Those are, I think, the keys is really making sure you start with a solid foundation, understanding your approach, how you're going to put that forward, being able to clearly articulate what you are doing, and maybe also what you aren't doing to those who are investing in your funds, and then being able to have the right checks and balances in place to ensure that what you say you are going to do, you are being able to do. You also want to make sure you have the right resources in place to be able to execute on those uh, and then have a way to report that back to to those stakeholders and beneficiaries of, of the investment strategies that you're employing on their behalf. Welcome to ESG in Conversation, Morningstar Sustainalytics podcast offering a digest the latest research on the relationship between environmental, social, and corporate governance issues, global business, finance, and society. I'm your host, Melissa Chase, and here are the latest ESG insights and stories you should know about. The Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation has now been in force for over two years. It's the EU's landmark legislation meant to provide investors with greater insight into the sustainability risks of their investments and improve comparability of financial products. However, some folks are still not clear on what it means when an investment product claims to be sustainable. This has forced financial product developers to figure it out for themselves. But if their interpretation deviates from those of their clients or regulators, asset managers risk being accused of greenwashing. To help them understand the potential risks, we recently published Seeing Through the Green, a guide to greenwashing risks for asset managers. The guide provides strategic insights on the best practices for spotting greenwashing and developing genuine sustainable investment products. Readers will learn about the evolving regulatory landscape around sustainable investment product labels and reporting. They'll also deepen their understanding of how to manage claims of greenwashing. You can download Seeing Through the Green by visiting the Resource Center at sustainalytics.com. And now, turning to the regulatory front. The European Commission recently published the European Sustainability Reporting Standards. These new standards set the criteria for the CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, which aims to enhance and standardize sustainability reporting for companies in Europe. The CSRD is an expansion of the previous non-financial reporting directive and will apply to around 50,000 companies once fully rolled out. Under CSRD, companies will have to disclose qualitative and quantitative information across a wide range of environmental, social, and governance topics. This information will also be subject to a double materiality assessment, which means companies will need to assess both the risks that external environmental and social issues pose to their financial performance and the impact their operations and products have on society and the environment. 
The CSRD comes into effect in January 2024, and the first set of company reports are due in 2025. For institutional investors concerned about potential greenwashing in their portfolios, Morningstar Sustainalytics' Adam Dolan writes about how stewardship and active engagement could be effective tools to mitigate associated risks. As sustainable finance regulations are introduced across jurisdictions, it's becoming mission critical for investors to back up their sustainable investment claims. Through constructive and collaborative ESG stewardship activities, investors can show their commitment to sustainable practices while also contributing to positive outcomes. Some approaches to stewardship include reactive stewardship, so engaging with companies to remedy severe incidents that breach human rights or business ethics, for example. Proactive stewardship, so using company engagement to try and mitigate financially material ESG risks. Thematic stewardship, where investors engage with companies throughout a value chain to address risks and maximize opportunities around broad thematic areas, such as biodiversity or human rights. And stewardship through a voting policy that is aligned with the activities at companies' annual general meetings. For more on how investors can mitigate greenwashing risks, let's hear from one of our experts. I sat down with Ruthann Bartello, Commercialization Director and Global Lead of Morningstar Sustainalytics Stewardship Services. We discussed the rise and risks of greenwashing within the financial services sector. She shares everything asset managers need to know about what greenwashing looks like, how they can mitigate against associated risks in their portfolios, and the numerous regulations they should be aware of. Hi, Ruthann. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we'll be talking about greenwashing in the context of the investment world and beyond. So first, in the context of asset management and investment products, what is greenwashing exactly? Uh, it's it's really where there's a, a tendency to have a vagueness to what an investor would be able to buy and have in their portfolio. So if they're really interested to align their values or where they see value in investment, so where they want to manage risk, and they look towards environmental, social, and governance factors like climate risk or a risks associated with um, mismanagement of humans uh, via like capital and employees and diversity, equity, and inclusion or other areas, those things can be marketed, I would say, on the label or the can of an investment product that an investor would buy. And so they would see that and think that that fund is being managed in a way that is what they're seeking to achieve through their investment dollars. What can often happen, and I would say especially as we've seen the boom and growth in ESG and a number of investors looking to ensure that their investments are being managed in a way that they might also steward their uh, consumption dollars. A lot of investment funds have led with marketing surrounding the way that a fund is being invested. But then when you start to look under the hood or you start to, to investigate and dig a little deeper, perhaps the claims that come from a marketing perspective are not exactly aligned to what's happening um, behind the scenes. Or at least you can't 
connect the dots to be able to see the clear connection. So maybe it's happening, but it's not well documented. It's not well tracked. There isn't a lot of demonstrated support for what is being headlined, I guess you could say, to the investor who's then selecting that security to be part of their portfolio. Right. Okay. And so then why should asset managers be concerned about the sort of misalignment between what's on the label and what's under the hood? I mean, reality is that it is reputational risk, right? Uh, A headline can really have an impact on your ability to represent yourself true to what you're delivering to your clients. And so if you think about even stepping outside of of the investment industry and you think about the diesel gate, right? Where, you know, there was, there was, VW was really pushing forward this clean diesel offer to clients, to people who wanted to purchase cars that would be cleaner for the environment, only to find out that that was not true, right? That even though some of those mechanisms were put in place, they weren't working, they weren't functioning, or they were necessarily not doing what they were set out to do, right? And so again, it's about being able to ensure that what you say is lined up to what is actually happening. And so that comes true to an investment manager to ensure that the claims they make about being ESG leaders, about taking on certain strategies related to the integration or incorporation of environmental, social, and governance factors within their decision-making and investment process are able to be aligned and demonstrated either through reporting or processes or policies that underpin and substantiate what the, what the fund is, is looking to deliver. Mm-hmm. So then what's driving sort of this concern among institutional investors about greenwashing in the investment products that they're purchasing? Again, there's a lot of demand coming from the market that their either stakeholders, key stakeholders, beneficiaries, or even the jurisdictions in which they operate are looking for their investment approaches or their what they invest in to be aligned in these ways. So it could be that they want to ensure that there's no investments held in the portfolio that would support cluster munitions. And therefore, they want to ensure that there is a process in place in order to be able to uh, have the right tools and information in order to second those from the portfolio. In that respect, and just going back to, I think what you originally asked me is why are investors looking for this is because they want to ensure that they're able to respond to the needs of their their stakeholders, respond to the needs or the demands of their beneficiaries, as well as respond to to the local law regulation, or often soft law commitments that they've signed on to. And so being able to ensure that what they what they invest in, what they put the proceeds of their funds towards is aligned and they can actually support that alignment with, for lack of a better word, proof. So you mentioned before, you know, reputational risk is like a, a major concern for asset managers around greenwashing. What are some of the other consequences of, you know, greenwashing and investments that asset managers need to think about? 
Well, if you've seen the headlines recently, you would know that it has got to a place where there are being fines levied upon asset managers who have been found to be uh, subject to, to greenwashing uh, investors. And so there are there are monetary uh, outcomes that are being levied. Uh, so that I think is is new or newer. Uh, even though we've heard it, we're finally seeing some of those things come to pass. And so I think that is a natural progression of what's happening. You know, there was this fast growth within this space. Everybody was jumping on. I'm, I, I think back to 10, 15 years ago, and and especially when the SDGs came forward, the new sustainable development goals that were towards 2030, and they were very attractive from a marketing perspective. And I was on the asset management side at that point in time. And there was a lot of concern rising because it would make things so easy to market and visually appealing. There was a concern that you would end up leading folks astray by using really flashy and attractive of marketing and then not being able to substantiate it behind the surface. And I think as people and and more mainstream investors became uh, aware of and and understanding the materiality behind the risk associated with environmental, social, and governance factors, it became more and more understood and more and more in demand. And and as that evolution has happened, you had people trying to jump in quickly in order to be able to capitalize on or be part of this wave of investment. There are various ways to implement an environmental, social, and governance take or view on the investment management process and how that comes in and how it plays out is really important. As that has become more mainstream and understood and demanded, then there there has to be an elevation of being able to support that when either regulators and or naysayers or challengers to the approach come to kick the tires, you need to be able to defend what you're putting out there. And I think that's really about where we are today and why greenwashing has become such a headline topic and and why a lot of investors are really wanting to ensure that as they build out their strategies, be it impact, risk, or compliance-driven, that they're able to substantiate that with the work that they're doing behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned regulators and, uh, you know, they're the ones levying the fines and making the rules. And so we know that globally regulators are scrutinizing more closely the claims that are being made by investment managers or those making investment products. And, you know, and they're setting these rules up to, you know, hopefully protect investors that are purchasing these products. So in terms of regulations. I know there's tons happening or being implemented all around the world. What are some of the key ones that are sort of focused on combating greenwashing that the asset manager should be aware of? So I think you can almost without doubt and and with great consistency look to the European market to see where the leaders have come from in this space. And so if you look at the regulation that's coming out from the EU and, and specifically around funds, you're seeing SFDR, um, that is is the, the first mover, uh, as you would say, in, in terms of putting some guidelines and, and reporting requirements 
around funds that are being presented. And, and you know, they've broken it down into Article 6, Article 8, and Article 9. Article 6 really looks at, tell us how you think about sustainability, but there's not really a real incorporation. Then you have Article 8, which is, a, which is considered a light green. And there you're looking at how are you implementing ESG. Like, what, tell us about it. And then when you get to Article 9, it's a, it's a deep green and there is a much bigger commitment that needs to be demonstrated related to not just ESG, but impact. And so that's a very high level. I'm sure you're going to have some regulation and regulatory experts from our team on your show at some point in the future. They can tell you the ins and outs of SFDR. But what I would say is, is that, you know, they have set the global stage and there's lessons to be learned. They did some things very well. There's things, there's still challenges that are being worked out and sorted through, but the rest of the world is looking to the standard that has been set in order to start to follow suit. I think what you would also see happening is, is there is a continued emergence of either soft law, so not regulation, it's not required by law, it's not the law of the land, but it is either commitments that investors can subscribe to, like the UK Stewardship Code, which sets a high standard for how investors approach environmental, social, and governance stewardship and how they steward the, the funds that they are entrusted in, and what governance and oversight they have in place related to that. And it has a very stringent and high bar for application and acceptance to the code. You also see different initiatives that are either focused on a specific area that have uh, different uh, reporting, regular reporting requirements where investors need to demonstrate how they have met the objectives of that standard and fulfilled on that year in and year out. And so I think there's, you know, the first kind of real regulation that is globally recognized is through the EU taxonomy, the EU action plan, SFDR. Those are are globally seen as the forerunners, but there are many that are going to come behind it. And we, you know, today we we are pending what is coming out of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission around disclosure standards. So yeah, so regulations coming. It's already here in most jurisdictions, and it's likely just going to become more stringent. So that's that's pretty clear. So then what can asset managers do to address greenwashing risks in their portfolio and shield themselves from accusations or mitigate some of the risks that would come with uh, this more stringent regulation that's coming around? I think it's having good ways to document and demonstrate the work that's being done. In a lot of cases, managers are already doing really good work. They are taking a very serious approach to integrating environmental, social, and governance into their investment decision-making. It's about having those policies well-documented and being able to connect the dots. And a lot of what regulation and or some of these standards are looking to do is to provide a standardized framework in which everyone reports out in a very aligned way so that as an investor, when you look at fund A, fund B, or fund C, you can compare them, right? You can look and see what's the same and what is different, how are they approaching it, and what better suits what I'm looking to achieve with my investment. 
And so I think that becomes a standardization, which we haven't had historically in this space. Um, You know, being able to report out in a way that helps investors compare and understand. And, And that is, you know, that we see that on the corporate side, right? As you start to see some of these disclosure standards come out on how corporates need to report on their environmental, social, and governance factors internally, it's the same investors need to be able to take that information, integrate it into their investments, and then report out to their investors or stakeholders in a very standardized way as well. Mm-hmm. So do you have any tips or any suggestions for asset managers with respect to building an ESG investment strategy, something that's robust, that sort of hits all those points that you mentioned before, making sure that what they say is matching what they're doing and actually addressing the desires of their clients. Yeah. I mean, I think there there are a number of different strategies. And if you look uh, last week, the PRI, GSIA, as well as the CFA Institute came together and they released standard nomenclature for how to talk about how to call and what the key elements are of different approaches to applying an ESG strategy or responsible investment or however you're going to call it, because there's there's different ways of calling this. But if you're talking about ESG integration, they have put forth a really good way of looking and testing, do you cover off the elements of that? And, and starting to, again, create that standardized approach. Similarly, they they've did the same for screening. They did the same for impact investment, thematic investment. And so I think you, when you bring it together, and if you're really looking to put forth a really robust strategy, it's about understanding how are you leveraging or integrating many of those. The one that I seemingly have left out is stewardship. And I think that, you know, I'm I'm gonna come at this from the perspective that I've worked with stewardship as a strategy for a number of years. In my introduction to at the time it was called SRI, it became RI, then became ESG investing. So I've been through the many iterations of this. Stewardship was a key component of the strategy all along from an investment perspective. And so we leveraged things like screening, where we could screen out or screen in. And we had some very clear boundaries around what that looked like. So I would say from that perspective, understanding you know, if you're screening out a specific industry, have you thought about the revenue parameters around which you would you would be okay with. There are strategies that are applied and built in different ways, but I think be clear about it, right? Again, if you're thinking about, you know, what is in your portfolio, if you have a stewardship approach and what you want to do is not necessarily exclude a company or remove it from your investable universe because of an incident that's happened, how do you engage with that company to ensure that you're remediating the issue at hand? And then mitigating that risk of it reoccurrence happening going forward. And so how are you engaging with the company in order to A, get an understanding, but B, encourage them to move forward in that direction, understanding that it's important to their investors for them to see the company committed to remediation and mitigation. 
So from that perspective, you know, really taking not just one, but many of these approaches and being able to to put them together to understand what is your thesis around this approach to investing? What are your commitments around that and how do you then implement it? So then it's it's not just setting the policy, but then how do you implement that and what does that look like? And being able to then articulate it and communicate it as well as report back to your investors on it. So those are, I think, the keys is really making sure you start with a solid foundation, understanding your approach, how you're going to put that forward, being able to clearly articulate what you are doing and maybe also what you aren't doing to those who are investing in your funds, and then being able to have the right checks and balances in place to ensure that what you say you are going to do, you are being able to do. You also want to make sure you have the right resources in place to be able to execute on those, and then have a way to report that back to those stakeholders and beneficiaries of the investment strategies that you're employing on their behalf. Mm-hmm. So we covered a lot today, Ruthann. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that you think that our audience needs to know about mitigating greenwashing risks in their investments? Honestly, I think this is a inflection point in our industry. Well, my hope is, you know, as we move forward and and everybody, you know, gets the right mechanisms in place, that greenwashing becomes necessarily a concern of the past because we'll have good regulation in place to hold those accountable who need to be held accountable, but we'll also have the right systems in place within our internal organizations to be able to actually demonstrate and articulate what we are doing and be able to communicate that out in a way that everybody understands and and can see that the, the strategies are being implemented as promised or requested. Thank you so much, Ruthann. Thanks for joining us today on ESG in Conversation. It was great to talk to you as always. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Melissa. To learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, click the links in the show notes or visit stainalytics.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please be sure to follow us on our socials at Sustainalytics on X, formerly Twitter, and Morningstar Sustainalytics on LinkedIn and Facebook. Have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover on the show? Email us at podcast at sustainalytics.com. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of ESG in Conversation. Until next time. Copyright 2023 Sustainalytics, a Morningstar company. All rights reserved. Sustainalytics does not assess current market trends, legal or regulatory developments, but only opens on recent ESG relevant developments. The information and data contained herein are proprietary of Sustainalytics and or third-party content providers. These are intended for informational, non-commercial use only, and may not be copied, distributed, or used in any other way, including via citation. They are not directed to or intended for distribution to or use by India-based clients or users, and their distribution to Indian resident individuals or entities is not permitted. These do not constitute an endorsement of any product, project, investment strategy, or consideration of any particular environmental, social, or governance-related issues as part of any investment strategy, nor an investment advice or expert opinion, are not part of any offering and do not constitute an offer or indication to buy or sell securities, and have not been submitted to, nor received approval from, any relevant regulatory bodies. Sustainalytics assumes no responsibility for the reliability, completeness, or accuracy of any opinion provided herein. 
and makes no representation or warranty as to any of the information, including without limitation, any representation or warranty that the information or any portion of it is accurate, complete, or suitable for a particular purpose. Neither Sustainalytics or Morningstar nor its content providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from any use of this information, and use is subject to conditions available at www.sustainalytics.com forward slash legal dash disclaimers.